G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. is entitled, The Son of God, Understanding the Gospel of John, Part 1, a verse-by-verse audio commentary, part of the larger Understanding the Bible series. We're in John Chapter 8, which is called Light of the World, and this particular lesson is also called Light of the World, based on John Chapter 8, verses 12 to 20. Jesus, by claiming to be the light of the world, is basically claiming to be the Son of God. It's as simple as that. We learn in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. When God created the universe and said, let there be light, He was, of course, injecting His own nature into that which was once dark. So we're going to learn about Jesus as the light of the world. And I might add that There will be some awkwardness, perhaps, because Jesus is going to be debating and confronting his critics and opponents. It's not a feel-good kind of thing, but out of this tense dialogue, we learn more about Christ, who he really is, his divine nature, his great love, his great works. It's kind of like going to the gym and having a workout with the weights. The weights may be heavy. And the weights may oppose, but in some cases, the heavier the weight, the more we persevere in pressing the heavy weight, the stronger we actually become. And if all we do is deal with light weights that are really posing no opposition, we don't get very far either. So let's begin with a verse. In fact, the very first verse of John chapter 8, and it's verse 12, where Jesus says, all in red letters, mind you, if you have a red letter Bible, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. All right, what a claim that Jesus is making. And if it wasn't for the fact that he did seven outstanding miracles, messianic miracles pointing to his true identity and mission, if it wasn't for the seven I am statements he made, if it wasn't for the five witnesses and bonus, the many titles that are found in John's gospel and for your interest too, titles and descriptions found in the book of Revelation, which also was brought to the world via John. All these things, the titles, the witnesses, the miracles, the I am statements are pointing to Jesus's singular, unique and wonderful identity. Son of David, Son of God, Messiah, soon coming King. So what we're going to learn here is some amazing things. First of all, Jesus is claiming as light of the world to not just have light, not just be light, but to also be able to impart light to others. Now, he doesn't say it right here, but the fact is in the Sermon on the Mount, 
he tells us that we are the light of the world. Now, how on earth do we get any light, especially when we've been in the darkness of sin and death, unless we get it from God himself, who is light and who has no darkness? God, as the source of light, will illuminate our lives so that we can be the light of the world, too. But remember, God is the source of light. We're not. We merely reflect God's light, pretty much like the sun and the moon. The sun representing God, the moon representing us. The moon looks amazing, especially at a new moon or a full moon. But the fact is the moon, though it's bright in the sky, has no light of its own. Where does it get the light from? Well, it either gets it from reflecting the light from the world, but more so from the light of the sun. So just as the moon reflects the sun's light, we reflect the light that comes from Jesus. In this particular lesson, Jesus will make his statement. Then he will be accused of witnessing for himself, and he'll rebut it. He'll talk about his judgment being true. He speaks of two divine witnesses to validate his testimony. And he'll speak of his father, the heavenly father, to which they'll say, where is he? Of course, we know the answer. And with that in mind, let's continue. Let's read now from John chapter 8, verses 12 to 20. Our lesson is called Light of the World. In John 8, verses 12 to 20. This is the word of the Lord. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself. Thy record is not true. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know whence I came, and whither I go, but ye cannot tell whence I come, and whither I go. Ye judge after the flesh. I judge no man. And yet, if I judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, for I am the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. Then said they unto him, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know me nor my father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my father also. These words spake Jesus in the treasury, as he taught in the temple. And no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. The reading is from John chapter 8, verses 12 to 20. And our lesson is called Light of the world. What an amazing, amazing label. And how true, as we will discover. Jesus had just shamed his enemies, who tried to trap him regarding the woman caught in adultery. They were probably less eager to execute her than to trap Jesus and to have a cause to accuse and arrest him. As was so often the case, Jesus eluded their trap and attempts to apprehend him. It appears that this incident with the adulterous woman was parenthetical. Jesus was teaching at the temple, then interrupted by the religious mob who wanted to stone the woman who was committing adultery or allegedly did. 
But once they were rebuked and the matter was closed, what happened? Jesus continued teaching. Now, having shamed his enemies with that one-liner, he that is without sin, let him cast a stone at her. He is now doing what he does so well, gives the I am statement, I am the light of the world. My followers will not walk in darkness. On the contrary, they shall have the light of life. Jesus is the Logos, or Word, as described in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he makes that statement, and then it goes on further. Jesus is the Logos. He is the living Word, and as such he bestows light. In Psalm 119, verse 105, it reads, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. And again, let me quote to you from 1 John 1, verse 5, the latter part of the verse, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So Jesus, by claiming to be the light of the world, is claiming divinity. Now, he's accused of self-witness in John chapter 8, verse 13. The Pharisees, as usual, are offended by him. Now, I think Jesus would have offended them even while he slept. They were very, very thin-skinned. They said to him that he is testifying about himself. And because he's testifying about himself, or basically validating himself, therefore his testimony is not true. It is biblical to establish a fact or testimony by the mouth of two or three credible witnesses. There are several verses on this point that in order to prove a fact, you've got to have two or three credible witnesses, not just false witnesses. As Jesus had his trial, they were so false, they couldn't even find two people to agree on the same piece of information. Therefore, they were desperate to find something to accuse Jesus, and the only thing they could do was force him to testify of himself, and that was enough. But in any way, in Scripture, the actual verses that say you need two or three witnesses, first of all, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 17.6 and 19.15. Or in the New Testament, Matthew 18, 16. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 1. 2 Corinthians 13, 1, or 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 5, 19, or Hebrews 10, 28. As I have shared frequently, Jesus doesn't provide two witnesses, but five witnesses, as found in John 5, verses 31 to 47. And these include John the Baptist, the miracles, the scriptures, the heavenly Father, and the testimony of Moses. Those are the five witnesses. But then Jesus rebuts his critics who are accusing him of testifying about himself and therefore being invalid. This is what Jesus says. My testimony is true even if I am the only one who states it because he knows where he came from and he knows where he's going. Being divine and from heaven, and not only proceeding from heaven, but returning to heaven, gives weight that mere human testimony cannot. Then the Lord adds that his accusers neither understand his heavenly origin 
or destiny. That's why they don't understand the truth or the light. Then, in verse 15 of John 8, judge after the flesh, which is, of course, what you shouldn't do. Jesus says his accusers are carnal, which is not a compliment, because basically they're judging after the flesh. What does this phrase actually mean, judging after the flesh? This means they look at the outward appearance, they don't get the facts, they go on a whim, they know nothing about the heart of the matter, and all of this, by judging after external appearances, brings error, distortion, and deception. By the way, we are very prone to this today. We are so image-driven as a society that we don't seem to care at all what's inside a person. We only look at the outward. Are they good-looking? Are they pretty? Are they sexy? Are they attractive? Are they... And the list goes on. So we judge externally, which is both carnal and just downright immature. It is of the utmost importance that we have discernment and not judge from the exterior, but from the heart. These Pharisees who were accusing Jesus were actually trying to judge Jesus. Jesus goes on to say that he judges no one. That is not that his purpose to come to earth to judge. His purpose to come to earth was to save. At least his first coming was to come to save. However, if people reject his salvation, then judgment is the only recourse left. And judgment indeed is important because God wants to rid the world of sin and death once and for all. He's given a way of escape for all humanity, and that is through the gospel of Christ. And that's why it's incumbent on us to preach the gospel, because when we let down the net, we should get a big catch of fish sooner or later. So this is Jesus's purpose. And he says in John eight sixteen, my judgment is true. If and when I judge, I judge truthfully. That's because I'm not a one-man band. The Heavenly Father is with me, and we can judge together. And then he goes on to talk about, in John eight seventeen, Is it not written in your law that the testimony of two is true? And I've already given you some references on that. Two credible witnesses are enough to establish any fact any testimony, any statement. Well, you don't just have two witnesses. You have two divine witnesses. John 8, verse 18. I witness of myself, the Father witnesses of me. This is attested to by signs and wonders. This is why I can say that my testimony is true. All right, because of Jesus' unique perspective, And because of the many, many proofs of his identity as son of David, Messiah, and son of God, he can testify himself solo, and it'd be enough. Oh no, he brings in the Heavenly Father and other divine heavies, like the Word, and so on, in order to prove the point. Where is your Father? That is the question asked by his enemies in John 8, 19. Now... The curiosity of the Pharisees and the chief priests is stirred. They ask, where is your father? Now, it just might be 
that they were having a dig at Jesus' paternity, implying that his conception was impure or illegitimate. Jesus crisply replied, You don't know me, and you don't know the Father. If you knew me, then you would also know the Father. It's as simple as that. And it says here in verse 20 of John 8, Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. No one laid hands on him for his hour had not yet come. Remember that nothing regarding this ministry of Jesus, especially in these last days, was done in secret, was done in a corner, was done behind closed doors. On the contrary, everything was done in the open. There was he, The Savior actually has nothing to hide. He is as open as a book, and he says it as it is, speaking words of truth, words of life, words of blessing. Now, remember, because this was done in a public place, there would be many people listening to this dialogue. Some of them would believe, some of them would not believe, and some of them were still making up their minds. But because it was in a public place, it would be in some ways harder to accuse Jesus of anything because there's plenty of witnesses to testify of what he says and nobody really to affirm the lies, the distortions, the evil imaginations of Christ's enemy. So, the lesson is called Light of the World from John 8, 12. What is our lesson for life? Jesus, as light of the world, confronts and defeats the darkness, and those who follow him will do likewise. taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.